The mission is simple, to help high achievers naturally eliminate emotional and physical obstacles so they can optimize their life for higher achievement. Welcome. You have just entered the Genesis Zone. Good day and welcome to the Genesis Zone show. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, that person has grit? Uh, Do you have grit or uh, are you held back by fear? In today's show, I'm going to share some research-based insights into eliminating fear in your life. Uh, Have you ever met someone who was absolutely fearless? I mean, nothing seemed to stop them. Uh, Did you secretly envy them? Or were you concerned for them because they appeared just a little bit too careless or maybe even reckless at times? Uh, do, Do you know that psychology researchers have been measuring grit for quite some time? Uh, They study gritty people, not sure why, other than it yields some pretty interesting research. The formal definition of grit means to have courage and resolve, uh, to have strength of character. But what does grit really mean to you in everyday life? Uh, In the comments section below, I want you to jot down what having grit means to you. And and while you're doing that, I'm going to share what having grit actually means to me. Uh, Based on my life experiences, grit means having staying power, being able to power through the challenges, being able to accept challenges as learning experiences, and never, ever giving up. You see, grit requires commitment. And I know, I know there's that dreaded C word that so few people like these days, but it does. Grit requires commitment in both the good and the bad. And it doesn't mean backing off your effort or commitment when the going gets tough. It literally means doubling down on your effort and your commitment when the going gets tough and going all in and giving it 210%. I also believe that you cannot have grit without believing in yourself and being the visionary who actually sets goals so big that most of the people around you will either doubt you can even pull it off or they'll think you're Looney Tunes crazy. In fact, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, Feedback from doubters and those that think I'm Looney Tunes crazy is kind of my internal litmus test that I'm on the right track. So what does the science have to say about grit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Researchers recently analyzed over 83 studies that measured grit. In total, there were, uh, you know, between all the studies, there were nearly 67,000 study participants that they looked at. They looked at uh, overall grit. They looked at perseverance of effort, and they looked at consistency of interest. So in other words, was this person really gritty or just mildly gritty? Was this Did this person have a lot of per- perseverance in their efforts to get things accomplished, and or did they not? And did they have consistency of follow-through in the interest that they had when they were maintaining interest in a particular subject area? Uh, and they compared all of these 
to a sense of subjective well-being. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Now, hands down, people who had higher levels of overall grit, meaning they were just grittier people, were most likely to report higher feelings of subjective well-being, meaning that um, you know subjective being uh, well-being being measured as a positive demeanor versus a negative demeanor, ha- having happiness versus depression, um, being satisfied with life and job and social life versus not being satisfied. So what does all this mean? Well, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, grittiness translates to visibly looking more calm and at, and at ease. Uh, it translates to being happier and it translates to being more satisfied with life in general, with your work life and with your social interactions. But how do you have grit when fear is shutting you down? Well, the answer to this goes back thousands of years, believe it or not. Have you ever sat around a, a campfire on a cold night? Um, uh, and, 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 and then what do you instinct- instinctively do when you're around that campfire? Uh, you might point your face in the direction of the fire to get your face warm. You might hold your hands out in the direction of the fire, uh, to get your hands warm. Uh, you might wrap up in a thick blanket or cuddle up with your favorite person near that fire. Or if you don't have a campfire, you know, uh, what does your morning routine look like? Do you grab a mug of hot coffee, hot cider, or hot tea? Um, Do you cup your hands around that mug to feel the warmth in your hands? Or after a stressful day, do you take a long hot bath or a shower or a jacuzzi soak or crawl in the sauna? Uh, There's something comforting and calming about warmth. And and scientists have figured out that experiencing warmth is part of a neurological uh, system called the prepared safety stimuli system. Now, this system is a neuropsychological response system designed to help protect our, protect us from harm and to help us survive. That's why it goes back thousands of years. And as mammals, physical warmth is essential for survival. Uh, and this prepared safety response has been hardwired into us as, as mammals, as humans, since the very beginning of time. Um, so scientists wanted to see if they could use this pre-programmed response to reprogram fear responses. And here's what they found. When study participants were placed in a cool environment, not necessarily a cold environment, it just wasn't warm. It was just a cooler environment. And, and then these study subjects were subjected to threatening cues, uh, for example, like placing a poisonous spider or, or a venomous snake near their their proximity, near their person, uh, the onset of fear was rapid, and the trauma response was lasting. That's very interesting, isn't it? So, in a cooler environment, the fear response and the trauma response was heightened. It was it was worse. It was it was it was more difficult to overcome, and it it it, it, 
it embedded a fear response. Now, if you go back thousands of years to our ancestors, when we used to, you know, be cave dwellers and fire was, you know, at a minimal, you know, if you had firewood, but you were constantly cold, I think, uh, you know, if we, if we look at research and how tough conditions were back then, um, and and then you had a snake crawl into your cave, <laughs> you know, or, or you or you had a spider uh, that was somewhere on your person. You you learned these fear responses, and it became and those fear responses became hardwired into you because they were traumatic. But it was also there for for your survival uh, to help you survive. Um, but in this particular study, when study participants were placed in a warm environment setting. Uh, given blankets to cover up with and they were kept warm, the fear response was inhibited and it had lasting residual effect even after the warmth was removed. That's huge, guys. In, 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 in essence, by keeping someone warm during a therapeutic intervention, uh, fear and trauma responses were able to be reprogrammed. So what does this mean for us right now? What does it mean for us uh, if we're dealing with fear that's holding us back from being that gritty person that we know we should be in business and in life? Um, and, and what does it mean for us right now and in the future? Well, I'm going to answer the future question first. Uh, in the future, I think it means that we're going to see, uh, hopefully see more research in the area of blending this mild hyperthermia, meaning creating warmth for a, a client, This mild, combining this mild hyperthermia with talk therapy. Now, obviously, more research needs to be done in this area to prove that, yes, it does enhance therapy and so on and so forth. But for right now, I have to ask myself and, and be completely honest, if I'm working with a client in a therapy, in a talk therapy situation, and we're working on trauma issues, we're working on fear issues, whatever it is we're working on related to, you know, anxiety, fear, those types of things. I have to ask myself, what is it going to hurt to offer them a, a blanket to cover up with so they can get warm? What's it going to hurt to offer them a warm cup of coffee or or a cup of hot tea. What's what's that going to hurt? Because those things for us, we already know are very soothing. And what's it going to hurt to implement that in a therapy session, even without the research being done? It's it's no harm, no foul. This is not like a medication that you're testing to see whether or not it's effective. No, this is simply giving somebody a blanket or something warm to drink, or turning the temperature up in the room just a tiny bit, so the temp the warm uh, the temperature in the room is just a little bit warmer. Um, but as as far as what we can do right now, um, uh, the research is strong in regard to hot showers, hot baths, jacuzzi therapy, uh, sauna therapy uh, being excellent. Uh, sources for calming nerves and improving mood. I mean, we have research to back that up. So I would say right now, whether you have someone to talk to in a, in a therapeutic capacity or not, it really doesn't matter. You can implement these measures immediately. You have a stressful day, you may already be doing this. Hop in the jacuzzi, hop in the sauna, go take a hot shower, take a hot bath. 
Um, those things are just no brainers. But now we we're starting to understand the science and and it's really ancestral science. You know, these things have been ingrained in us since the beginning of time because they were survival techniques. And when our ancestors were warmer, they tended to feel more at ease. They tended to feel more protected. They tended to feel more safe. So fire is more uh, warmth, uh, fire for our ancestors, but warmth is more than just about um, uh, uh, making us feel good. It was about safety and survival. And, and I think in a rudimentary way, our neurological system still feels that way. It's still hardwired into our system. So the things that we can do now, the things that you can take action on now are use, use those things to your advantage that you know you can do. Um, when, when you're stressed out at work and you can't go crawl in a sauna or jacuzzi or a hot bath, go get a cup of hot coffee, a cup of hot tea and just hold it, put your cup, your hands around that. And, um, you know, it, it works. I mean, it's very calming. So I trust you find uh, the content here at the Genesis Zone show uh, very informative and helpful. Uh, last week, and I didn't realize this until after the show, it shows you, I, I just don't keep up with stuff like this. I should, but I don't. Last week was our hundredth episode. And when you consider that less than uh, less, less than 1% of all people who start podcast ever get past the 10th episode. Um, that's huge. It's a huge accomplishment. So um, uh, we've made it to this today is 101 uh, episode number 101. And uh, with that, I have a huge, uh, a huge favor to ask. Uh, the only way other people will find out about the message that we're promoting here, this holistic message that we're promoting here is if you do something really, really simple. And that's number one, like and subscribe to, um, to, to our channels. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you know, hit the subscribe link and subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're an Apple podcast person, uh, get on Apple podcast, give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you're on Spotify, do the same thing. Give us a rating and subscribe. Uh, if you can do all three of those, that would be much appreciated. But if you can just do one of those, that, that would be great. Um, tune in next Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time, uh, where I'll be doing uh, the next In the Zone segment. And, and I'll be sharing the latest research and my insights about optimizing your genetics, optimizing your emotional and mental health, optimizing your physical health. And if you're a biohacker, we're going to be talking, we, we talk about all that stuff. Uh, you don't just have to have some nagging problem going on. Um, in fact, a good portion of my clients are just in this for the biohacking, because uh, when you do epigenetics, it goes beyond biohacking. It takes it really, really, really deep. Uh, and, and, and if you're doing it to take care of nagging problems, uh, it goes really, really, really deep and it gets to the crux of the matter very, very quickly. So uh, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, most informed, most trusted, and most grateful you spent this time with us today. Until next time, stay in the zone. I'm Dr. Brian Brown.